You got to get it done. This is Gateway City Sports. The rumors are true. This is Talking Sports on the Bleachers with Don Glenn. A confident young man. A superb athlete. A look at the sports issues of the day. Grab a seat, pop a cold one, and let's talk some sports. Gee, that sounds kind of interesting. Gentlemen, start your engines. Rommel on the shotgun here at the snap. Rommel looking, dumps it off right side. Intercepted! Intercepted the goal line by Woodson! And there is your dagger! Brujol with a widespread stance, arms out over the plate. Bickford from the stretch. So 1-1 one, one pitch. A swing, and there it goes! And up here in our usual spot with a full cooler and ready to kick around some sports topics today. I'm going to touch on the World Series and do some hot stove takes. We'll go over some Cardinal news. We'll talk a little bit Illinois and Mizzou football and touch on the football playoffs. And a little bit of college basketball as well. And then we will have... I told you I'd bring him back. I got him back. And that is the A-Train Arlington Lane. And we'll talk some XF. Talking Sports on the Bleachers is a proud part of Gateway City Sports. At Gateway City Sports, you can find articles and sports news on many sports in and around the St. Louis Bi-State area. Gateway City Sports also has podcasts like this one. I mean, I'm not the only one, guys. Uh, you know, such as, if you're a Cardinals and Cubs fan, then check out the team of rivals with Ron Nuttall, Pete Gellies, Gettys, and sometimes Elliot Dewey shows up. For Cardinal Rumors and News, check out, and some really cool interviews too, check out That's a Winner podcast with Ryan Jenkins and Josh Brown. And uh, rising from the ashes like the Phoenix is, 
The two for three is back with the moose, Mike Stevenson. And, of course, there's the Derek King Shorts Sports Show with Derek King. If there's a sport that you follow uh, and you look at our site and you look at the podcast and listen to the podcast and we don't cover it, let us know about it. We're going to see what we can do for you. Not necessarily promising anything, but we will give it the college try. Leading off. Well, the World Series is over, and congratulations to the Houston Astros and manager Dusty Baker. Houston took the series against the Phillies four games to two. Houston rookie, Houston's rookie, uh, Jeremy, shortstop Jeremy Pena, was named World Series MVP, only the third rookie to ever win that honor. The other two were LeVon Hernandez with the Florida Marlins in 1997. That's right, I said Florida Marlins. Back then they were the Florida Marlins, not the Miami Marlins. And Larry Sherry of the Los Angeles Dodgers in 1959. Payne was also the uh, ALCS MVP, and only eight other players have been a uh, uh, an LCS MVP and a World Series MVP uh, in the same season. Only one other one was a rookie. That was uh, LeVon Hernandez. Uh, a little side note to this is that two of the other seven players on that eight-player list were Daryl Porter in 1982 and David Fries in 2011, both members of of the St. Louis Cardinals when they did it. So this makes two World Series titles now for the Astros, who have become the 21st Major League Baseball franchise to win multiple titles. The Astros now join the Mets, Blue Jays, Marlins, and Royals as expansion teams to win multiple titles. Uh, also, the first World Series title for Dusty Baker as a manager. He, uh, he now has two rings, though. Uh, one as a player with the Dodgers in 1981, and one with Houston now as a manager. He's the 19th manager that has won a World Series uh, ring as a player and manager. Um, not a player manager. There's been a couple of those. Uh, he's not in that category, but he is uh, in the other category. Um, the last man to do that was Mike Sosha, who won a World Series ring playing for the Dodgers in 1980 and 81 and then managing the Dodgers in 2002 to a World Series title. Uh, now this win is a, a, it's, it's the pinnacle of Baker's career as a manager. Uh, at 73, he's the oldest manager to win a World Series. Now Baker played 19 years, 8 years for both the Braves, who drafted him, and the Dodgers. Uh, he also played a year for the Giants and two years in Oakland. Uh, a lifetime 278 hitter with 242 home runs, uh, 1,013 RBIs, uh, 1,981 hits. He started his coaching career in 88 uh, as the first base coach for the Giants, became the manager in 93. He got the Giants to the World Series in 2002, but come up short. He managed the Cubs from 2003 to 2006, led the Cubs to the NLCS in 2003. He was the manager of the Reds from 2008-2013, and uh, the Reds made the playoff twice under Baker when he managed, uh, never got uh, uh, very far. Uh, He did manage Washington for two years. Both times they would make the playoffs and bow out in the first round. 
So in his three years with the Astros now, though, uh, they've been to the ALCS three times and the World Series twice, and now they have a victory uh, with Dusty at the helm. And I did hear where he may be coming back, or he's probably going to come back, or he is coming back, uh, to the Strohs for another year. So congrats to Houston and manager Dusty Baker. Now, at the end of the World Series comes the baseball ritual. Yes, I'm talking trades, free agents, and more. It has already started, and it's called the Hot Stove League. You know, the confetti hasn't even been cleaned up yet, and the Atlanta Braves, Colorado Rockies, cut the first deal um, as uh, Atlanta sent right-handed pitcher Dylan Spain to Colorado for outfielder Sam Hilliard. Uh, the Mets... Uh, followed very closely and locked down closer Edwin Diaz to a five-year, $102 million deal. Now, there are reports that it has uh, an option here worth approximately $20 million as well. Uh, other notable or other names that have uh, uh, been um, scooped up, if you will, or found poems, uh, Anthony Rizzo re-signed with the Yankees two years for two years, $40 million. Uh, Jock Peterson returns to Frisco, accepting a qualifying offer. Uh, Robert Suarez stays in San Diego, getting a five-year deal worth $46 million. Uh, Tyler Anderson stays in L.A., but goes from the uh, to the Angels from the Dodgers. He gets a three-year, $39 million deal from the Los Angeles Angels, or Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, I, I don't know how that's pronounced, it's the Angels, let's put it that way. Uh, Martin Perez stays in Texas accepting a qualifying offer for one year. Rafael Montero stays in Houston three years at $34.5 million. Uh, Jose Arena returns to Colorado one year, $3.5 million. Uh, Jesse Chavez signs a minor league deal with Atlanta, one year, $1.2 million. Nick Anderson went from Tampa Bay to Atlanta, one year, $875,000. And Clayton Kershaw stays with the Dodgers for a year, details not available. I don't know if that was a qualifying offer or what as far as that goes, but they just didn't have those on the, uh, up yet when I checked it out. And there's still some big names that remain, like Trey Turner, Aaron Judge, Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts, uh, Jacob DeGrom, Carlos Rondon, Verlanders in, uh, is out there. Uh, these guys are going to draw the media attention. Uh, they're going to be in that $30 million club, that rarefied air. Um, these are what I call the shiny pennies. They always catch a fan's eye. Um, you know, and I, I get it, a lot of a lot of fans want these big names. They want these these um, shiny pennies. They they want the flash. They want the glitz. They want the glamour. But you have to kind of wonder: Do you really need those guys? And I know I'm going to catch catch six tons of you know what from Mike Stevenson. He he already kind of. Uh, it didn't didn't call me out really, but uh, you know, let it be known that I, I don't quite agree sometimes. I, I, he wants to get all these bright shiny pennies, and and you know, there are teams that can afford doing that. Uh, Cardinals, they could can they afford a uh, getting say a Trey Turner and uh, a Carlos Rondon? Yeah, 
I think they could afford it. And it, it, quite frankly, there's a lot of teams that could afford it. Uh, I mean, obviously, there are, there are some that can't, like Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, um, Baltimore. You know, there are teams that are just not going to be able to afford that. There are teams that can't. But you have to you have to look at what your needs are. And, you know, while Trey Turner, don't get me wrong, if we were to sign a Trey Turner or a Correa or a Judge, DeGrom, I'm telling you what, those guys would look really nice with the birds on the bat. I am not going to lie there. They would look nice with the birds on the bat. But, uh, you know, like I said, you got to wonder what is what is the real need. And, you know, to me, I, and I'll get into this a little bit more uh, probably next week. And if you want to, I've got an article coming up. I'll get to those in a few minutes. Uh, you know, but, but I think, seriously you got to look at what's going out there, what the need is, and is that need fulfilled by a free agent signing? Um, you know, you've got the next tier down from that the group I just talked about. Uh, you've got a Dansby Swanson. You've got a Josh Bell. So if you don't get those bright, shiny pennies, you know, you've got guys, there are guys that you can get that are going to help your team. I mean, they don't have the glitz and glamour attached in $30 million price tag, but... You know, uh, if I miss out on a Jacob DeGrom or a Carlos Rondon, but I can get a Chris Bassett or a Nathan Evaldi or a Noah Syndergaard, uh, a Tehan Walker, I'll get the, well, actually I'll get the Walker in a minute, but, uh, you know, uh, guys like that that are in that maybe $20 million area, um, you know, uh, a guy like Andrew Benatendi, uh, Dansby Swanson, you know, I won't. You don't necessarily need to go big time to make a big difference. Is what I'm trying to get at. And you know, again, while and I'll tell you what. And I, I am, I am actually behind trying to get Trey Turner. I really am. Uh, yes, thirty million dollar contract. I know. I am not usually a guy that loves to be the big spender, but he is one of these kind of guys that fits a cardinal mode. And fits what teams are looking for. Teams are looking for that guy that's a versatile um, player. And, and, and Turner is one of those. Turner can play infield. He can play shortstop, second base, third base. He can play, uh, I think, all four outfield positions. So a guy like that's going to draw some money. And, and, you know, the Cardinals should be in on somebody like that. Uh, hopefully, and if they don't get him, like I said, uh, I'm not worried if they don't get Trey Turner because I think we've got shortstop actually covered at least um, defensively, if you will, with with uh, uh, Tommy Edmond. Uh, and no, I do not think that Paul DeYoung is coming back as the shortstop. Uh, I think uh, Mo made it clear the other day when he was asked who is his shortstop, and he said without uh, hesitation, Tommy Edmond. Um, to say so, <laughs> boy, excuse me on that one. I am so sorry, folks. Uh, anyway, so you know you've got the shiny pennies, you got the next year, and then there's those everyday guys, the guys that are that that you know they are not the fancy ones, they are not the twenty million dollar babies. They're the guys that go out there and get it done, and can still make a difference on your team and you don't have to spend a lot of money. I'm talking guys like Tejon Walker, Mike Clevenger, Jose Iglesias, 
That's a hard name to say. He wanted to say Iglesias, like the like the singer. I won't put an N in there, and there's no N in that name. Robbie Grossman, Christian Vasquez, Tyler Naquin, Tucker Barnhart, or Tyler, uh, the catcher. Uh, these are low-end payroll types that can still provide you some help, still make you a better team. So you don't always have to go for that that that, that bright shiny penny, that glitz and glamour. Uh, if you can get one of those and it does provide help for your team, fantastic. Um, you know, like I said, I'll kind of I'll kind of touch on what I think the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals really seriously, if they're going to get into the free agent market and they're going to go after a Trey Turner or um, a, a Swanson or a Bogarts. The first thing they need to do is address the catching. We're not gonna. We don't have Yadier Molina, Andrew Kisner, a damn good backup, but he is he a 140 game catcher? Are you really gonna feel good with him behind the plate for 140 games a year? Ivan Herrera, we don't know what he's capable of. This is one case where I'm saying, let's not mess with prospects and get somebody that's doing the job. And that guy, I think the best option is Sean Murphy. Trade for Sean Murphy. Get him on the team. Then go after the bright, shiny pennies. Address the catch, Address your need first. The biggest need is a hitting catcher. Sean Murphy fits that bill. He's a hitting catcher, and he's a good catcher. He's good defensively. He handles pitchers, and he's young and under control. He's not going to cost you a lot of money. It may cost you a, a prospect. Um, you know, this is one case, again, top prospects. I really don't like dealing away. But when you've got a guy like a Murphy, I don't mind giving up a Mason win, let's say, for a Sean Murphy. I don't mind giving up... Um, Say a um, uh, uh, Woodford and Herrera for a Sean Murphy. I don't mind giving up, even possibly letting um, Kisner uh, and say Cody Whitley or uh, even Matthew Libertor for a Sean Murphy. I mean, that's just, to me, that's just the way to go. But then again, I am not in the front office, and they won't let me in there. Uh, so, But I'll continue looking at the hot stove here uh, from week to week. And uh, for a more look at what the Cardinals and what I think the Cardinals need to do in the hot stove, check out my hot stove series at www.gatewaycitysports.com. You'll find me there. You'll find it there. Um, I'm going to do I think I'm on part two, and we're getting ready for part three. I've just addressed the catching. So... Uh, check it out. See what you see what you think. The call on the field stands. Touchdown. Under further review. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Cardinals. And uh, you know, St. Louis, uh, they had to fill a bunch of coaching vacancies recently. Skip Schumacher, Jeff Albert, Mike Maddox, uh, all left. Brian Eversgard was reassigned, and so the Cardinals had to find, had to fill some holes, and they pretty much went all in house. Uh, one big name that uh, uh, fans were kind of hoping that he would he would end up in the dugout for St. Louis, and that was Matt Holliday. Uh, he will be the new bench coach replacing Skip Schumacher, 
who is now the manager of the Marlins. Uh, Holiday was serving as the hitting coach for Oklahoma State, where his brother Josh was the head coach. And he's never formally coached in the minor leagues or MLB. Um, he has more than once, though, has expressed a desire to coach for St. Louis, and they're finally going to give him his shot. Um, you know, some fans maybe thought he might have been better as the hitting coach and would been would would have been happy with Stubby Clapp as the bench coach. But I think uh, Holiday as the bench coach does make a little bit more sense. Uh, Turner Ward was promoted from assistant hitting coach to hitting coach, uh, taking Jeff Albert's place, who re, who just now has been signed by the Mets uh, to be in their hitting department, not on the field, but maybe working their system much like he did for St. Louis. So we'll see how that works for Jeff Albert. But uh, uh, Turner Ward has been around for a couple years with St. Louis is, uh, in the minors. Uh, last year, like I said, he was brought up as the hitting coach or the assistant hitting coach. Uh, he was more the on-field mechanics adjustment guy. Um, you know, Albert's hitting program, and Albert can give you all the X's and O's, and he had all the algorithms. But I don't think he was really very good at putting into practice what the guys needed to be doing. In other words, I don't think he was good at the mechanics as much as he was the theories. And uh, I think that's where Ward came in. He was the mechanics guy. He was the guy that went and looked, looked at you and said, no, do it this way. So I think that's going to help with him. Um, the surprise move in all this, I think, was pitching coach. Um, the Cardinals elected to move pitching strategist Dusty Blake to the pitching coach uh, position. Now, Blake is a strategist. He would get in and he would work with with Maddox and the analytic staff and all this and, all, and the pitchers, uh, but he was never uh, the the guy that went out and, and you know, um, did the, 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 the actual coaching thing part of it. Uh, so this is going to be his shot at that. He, like uh, Holiday, hasn't managed or coached, I should say, uh, in the minor leagues or the major leagues. His last coaching job before he came to the Cardinals was as the pitching coach for Duke University. So maybe he can kind of push some of that. And with some of these young kids, he might be the he might be the guy. I mean, you know, uh, Maddox was experienced, but he may not have been able to relate to the uh, the Helsleys and the Hickses and the guys like that. Excuse me. Uh, Dusty Blake uh, might be in that that realm. He might be able to relate a little better. Uh, Memphis hitting coach Brandon Allen was promoted to assistant hitting coach, taking Turner Ward's spot. Um, he's been coaching for the Cardinals since 2016 and has coached at every level in the minor leagues. So if there's anybody that knows these kids coming up and knows all these prospects, like like a Yepes, like a Gorman, like uh, Donovan, like uh, Burleson, um, Wynn, Walker, it's going to be this guy. And uh, so I think he's going to make a very good addition and combination with Turner Ward. Um, Julio Rango, Rangal was uh, brought in as assistant pitching coach and bullpen coach, replacing Eversgard. Uh, Rangel is coached with the Giants, Texas, and most recently he's been in the Boston system. Um, so we'll see how this works out. I mean, you know, he's he's the assistant pitching coach, so uh, he's going to have a little experience to help, uh, probably help Blake uh, over some um, rough spots, if you will. Uh, Cardinals made a couple of some other announcements as uh, Yadier Molina and Albert Pujols have officially 
signed their retirement papers uh, from Major League Baseball. Uh, they announced that a couple days ago. Uh, both players went in, signed their paperwork, and now are retired. Uh, the Cardinals also optioned out right-handed pitcher Cody Wheatley or, and uh, infielder Kramer Robertson to AAA Memphis. Uh, they uh, then announced that Drew Verhagen and Anthony Reyes have been taken off the 60-day IL and will be on the 40-man roster. They've also selected Moises Gomez, a 24-year-old outfielder from the Memphis Redbirds. He split time between Springfield uh, and Memphis last year, 60 games in each in each uh, team. Uh, combined batting average of 294, 371, 624, with 39 home runs, 94 RBIs. He had 321, 401, and 705 with 23 home runs, 16 RBIs at Springfield, 266, 340. 541 with 16 home runs and 40 RBIs in Memphis. Uh, now his 39 home runs he hit combined was the mo was tops in the minor leagues for this year. Uh, the Cardinals also traded uh, cash considerations for shortstop Jose Furman from the Cleveland Guardians, and he was added to the 40-man roster. Uh, also, I think Connor, I just, just announced, and I don't have that written down, but I just announced that Connor Thomas has also been added now to the 40-man roster. Uh, Nolan Arenado and Brendan Donovan both won gold gloves. For Arenado, it was his 10th consecutive. 10th consecutive, good Lord, uh, gold glove. Uh, for Donovan, it was his first, and, for, and Donovan is the first player to win the award as a utility player. He's also the first Cardinal to win a gold glove as a rookie and the first National League rookie to win the award since 2013 when Nolan Arenado did it, playing in Colorado. Uh, Donovan played 264 innings uh, at second base, 190, 189 innings at third base, 144 in left field, 143 in right field, 58 at first base, and 56 games at shortstop. Uh, he's the first major league player in the modern era to ha to start at four different positions in his first four starts. You know, fans do a lot of stressing out about this time of the year, and it's kind of almost like buying a car. That can be stressful, right? Hey, but at Fifth Street Motors, it doesn't have to be. Fifth Street Motors at 2044 Rose Lane in Pacific, Missouri, will help you find the vehicle you need no matter what brand. Fifth Street Motors believes in giving you the best price on a pre-owned vehicle that will fit your budget. So give Brandon or Don a call today, 573-259-1306. Tell them Talking Sports on the Bleachers sent you. Hey, the college notebook. Yeah, I might have to find a different uh, uh, different lead-in for that. I don't know. The Jeopardy theme is okay, but I may have to find something different than that. Maybe Bueller. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Anyway, for the college notebook, uh, it's been a couple of weeks now, and we're down to four undefeated teams for the college football playoffs, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and TCU. Now, I told you guys back in week five or six not to underestimate TCU. Don't sleep on that team, I told you. What happened? 
They are in their number four in the playoff rankings. They're a good football team. Uh, now, speaking of those rankings, Clemson took it on the chin um, a couple weeks ago when they lost at unranked Notre Dame, dropping them down uh, from 5th to 12th. Uh, they've made a recovery, and they're back in the top 10 at number 9. Uh, Alabama has been seemingly, I mean, I would think you could consider them knocked out of the playoff contention after their loss to LSU. Um, and, you know, they're they're in there at number 8, but they've got two losses. And uh, two of the teams ahead of them, LSU and Tennessee, both beat them. So they would have to, those two teams would have to, well, if LSU ends up with three, Alabama could get ahead of them. Uh, three losses, that is. Uh, Alabama could move ahead. Uh, Tennessee, I don't think they can jump Tennessee, uh, really, unless Tennessee just completely falls apart. And I don't see that happening either. Uh, so as for the top four teams, Georgia has three games left in her schedule at 24 Kentucky, number 24 Kentucky, and then home dates against Georgia Tech and number six LSU. So I don't, you know, the, Georgia may not be the lock that people think it is. I mean, yeah, they've rolled over opponents, but up to this point, they've only played two ranked teams: number 11 Oregon, first game of the year, and then number one Tennessee. Now they did beat, they did win both those games. Uh, but you look at the rest of their schedule, and there's no wow factor there. I mean, look at listen to some of these teams. Kent State, Missouri, Auburn, Vanderbilt, Florida, Mississippi State. There's nothing there that makes you go, that was a big win. Uh, there really are. Tennessee, yeah, big win. They beat number one. But what? who else have they beaten? Oregon? Oregon's now what eleventh, twelfth? I don't understand. I, I I don't think you know people are ready to just crown them right now. But I don't know something about about that. Just we'll see. You know, okay. Uh, like I said, they got to play number four twenty twenty number twenty four Kentucky uh, Saturday, um, and Kentucky, you know, they could they could surprise you. I mean, let's face it, Missouri. Came within seven, four points or seven points of uh, of uh, Georgia. Um, you know they haven't necessarily. I mean, they, yeah, they've rolled over some teams, but there's some some other teams that maybe not shouldn't have been as close as they were, but they but they did. So we'll see what happens with that. So if Kentucky does pull the uh, the unlikely upset. You know, then Georgia's got to take on LSU, and LSU's been giant killers this year. I mean, they've won a few ranked games. Uh, if LSU beats Georgia, beats Georgia and gives them a second loss, uh, don't be surprised to see Georgia fall out of that uh, little playoff group there. Um, Ohio State is another team that's been steamrolling everybody, but again, they've only faced two ranked opponents. Um, and they've only had four teams on their schedule that have winning records. So really, I mean, I don't get me wrong, Housey's a good football team, but how good are they? You know, they've got now they've got Maryland coming up Saturday and I, I Maryland can play with the big boys, they just can't beat the big boys. Um you know, they've played they've played a couple teams close, um, but uh you know, they just can't quite Pull pull it off. I mean, they came within seven of Michigan. They only lost to Purdue by two points, but now Penn State shellacked them by thirty. So you know, 
can Maryland beat Ohio State? Yeah, it's possible, not likely. Uh, and then Ohio State has their end-of-the-year game with Michigan, which, you know, that could give them a blemish on their on their perfect mark record um, and not and knock them out of the Big Ten playoff or championship, uh, which you never, you know, that that's, uh, would that be enough to knock them out of the NCAA playoff championship? And then you could bring in a number six Tennessee at, uh, who would that be maybe 11-1 at the time? I don't know. And it's something for the for the committees to answer. Uh, Michigan, of course, is in the same boat like Ohio State. I mean, they're they're in the same part of the Big Ten. They're in the Big Ten East, so same thing applies that uh, I apply to Ohio State applies to Michigan. Um, now they've got Illinois this uh, this Saturday, um, and Illinois has has got their backs against the wall. They had a lock pretty much on the West and let it get away, uh, losing uh, to Michigan State and then Purdue. Uh, so you could see a, a, a uh, uh, you could see Illinois upset Michigan. Uh, it's it's entirely possible. Uh, whether it'll happen or not, again, it's another story. Uh, but one way or another, either Ohio State or Michigan is going to have a loss. It is they got to because they got to play each other. Um, so one way or the other, one of those teams is going to have a loss. And if they do. And Kentucky, or excuse me, Tennessee wins out. Don't be surprised to see Tennessee slip in there. Now, do I really think there's going to be three or uh, uh, two SEC teams? Possible. Uh, do I think if Tennessee gets in, LSU gets in? I don't know. That's we'll have to. That's another day. Um, TCU is five and zero versus ranked opponents. You know they're tied for the most wins against ranked opponents this year with Tennessee, who also has five wins against ranked ranked opponents. Now TCU faces the Baylor Bears this weekend, um, and uh, you know Baylor's a good football team. I don't know. I don't know if they're good enough to beat TCU. They could surprise TCU because uh, they've got then after the Baylor they've got Iowa State, so they might be looking. You know. I don't think they're overlooking uh, Baylor to look past a, a, an Iowa State. Um, we'll have to see. But if TCU remains perfect and goes in 12-0, there's no way they're not in the playoff picture. Um, now, if they lose a game and they end up 11-1, Tennessee's 11-1, that could be an interesting discussion when they when they figure it out who, who plays who. Uh, I, I, I mention Tennessee a lot because I think they are the – the team that it, if there is a stumble in the top four, uh, Tennessee should, by all rights, get in there. Because, you know, quite frankly, five wins against ranked opponents. They're 9-1 and one right now. Um, and they've got uh, a couple of games against uh, uh, teams they should beat. So, I... If they go 11 and one, and like I said, there's a stumble by Ohio State, and, and well, Ohio State Michigan is going to stumble. There's no choice about it. Like I said, one of those teams is going to have one loss. So, you know, I look for Tennessee to be in that in that four in that group of four. Now, who they replace will remain to be seen. Okay, a little bit about uh, U of I and Mizzou, and then we'll move on. Um, 
Illinois football had a had the like I said had the Big Ten West in their hands. They were seven and one, four and one in conference. Had their ticket to Indianapolis almost punched. I mean, it, they had the little punch thing right there, ready to put the hole in it. And then Michigan State comes in and beats them. Okay, fine. So now you guys, all you have to do is go beat Purdue, and you're in. Purdue beats them. So now we've got a four-way tie in the Big Ten West uh, with Illinois, Iowa, Purdue, and Minnesota. Now Minnesota's, I, I, they're not, they're not in in any way, shape, or form. I think they lose to Iowa this weekend, and that's that'll end their their run at, at a shot at the Big Ten West. Uh, Purdue, I think, right now uh, is between Purdue and Iowa. Uh, and it really is. Um, Purdue has games against Northwestern and Indiana. I don't think Northwestern can beat Purdue, but Indiana might trip them up. And if they do, and Iowa State, or excuse me, and Iowa wins out, Iowa has the game in hand over Purdue. They beat Purdue earlier. So if Illinois, and, and now Illinois has beaten Iowa, so if if Illinois goes Two or wins the the last two games. Uh, Purdue loses one. Um, then I think Illinois gets it over Iowa. <laughs> it's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. Uh, but uh, uh, basically, if Purdue wins, if Purdue wins uh, two games, they're in. Uh, they're the West, they're the West representative. Uh, if they only win one. Then Iowa becomes a player in the picture, um, so it becomes a really interesting uh, uh, who beat who at that point. Um, now, uh, let's see here. On the basketball side of things, um, well, let me get back. Let me one more, one more quick thing about football. Um, even if Illinois does not make the Big Ten championships, which if anybody would have told me that Illinois was going to have a shot at the Big Ten Championships in Brett Bielema's second year as the coach, I'd have laughed in their face. I, 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 and I'm serious. After years of Beckman, Cubitt, and Lovey Smith, you know, telling me that team that this team's going to go eight and four, or this team is going to be at one point seven and one and be in the not just the uh, uh, Big Ten playoff picture or championship picture, but at one time they were 16th. They were ranked 16th in the playoff rankings. I wouldn't have believed it. Uh, I'm probably still not sure I do believe it now, but even though I've seen it. Uh, but if they go waiting for, let's say they 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 lose to Michigan, um, and they go waiting for, you know, because I think they'll beat Northwestern. That by any stretch is outstanding is an outstanding season for this football team, and it bodes well for what Bealum is doing, and I'm just it just tells you that the, the future is there for Illinois uh, as a football team with Bealum as the head coach. Uh, now on the basketball side of things, Brad Underwood's Hardwood Harriers have really come to play, and I mean that really, truthfully. These guys. I, you know, I knew Terrence Shannon was good. Um, 
I knew these incoming freshmen had really great pedigrees like Sky Clark and Sincere Harris and Ty Rogers, uh, Jaden Epps, you know, and then you had the returning guys of uh, Coleman Hawkins and Luke Goody, who's injured right now, uh, R.J. Melendez. Um, and then you had the, tra the unknown transfers coming in of Dane Danya and, um, like I said, Terrence Shannon. We knew what Terrence Shannon was, but Matt Meyer from uh, uh, Baylor. Uh, so you, you, you had all these coming in. You didn't know how it was going to gel because, you know, last year you had pretty much, you had a pretty good senior team. I mean, you had um, uh, Frazier and Williams and Plummer. Um, Kofi Coburn was a junior. You know, you had some really good uh, uh, Hutcherson and Grandison. You know, had some really good uh, experience and depth. Um, and, you know, now you've got the depth still, but the experience is kind of lacking. I mean, uh, uh, the lone senior is, well, you know, I guess if you want to call them the senior, the lone two seniors are Terrence Shannon Jr. and Matt Meyer. Uh, Coleman Hawkins is a junior. Melendez is a sophomore. And then you've got all these freshmen hanging around. Um, Luke Goody's only a sophomore. Uh, but I'll tell you what, uh, you know, they're 3-0 and right now, and they're headed to the Continental Tire Main Event in Las Vegas. Uh, it's a four-team event, and all four teams are ranked in the top 20. You've got number six, Baylor, number eight, UCLA, number 16, Virginia, and number 19, Illinois. Now, Illinois takes on UCLA in the first game Friday night. Baylor takes on Virginia. Uh, and then, of course, the two winners play each other and the two losers play each other. So we could end up playing Baylor uh, or Virginia, whichever one comes out ahead on their game. Um, the Illinois game starts at 6.30 on Friday night, and uh, uh, they take Saturday off. And then the two winners will play at noon on Sunday, with the consolation game being 2.30 uh, on Sunday. And I believe that's on ESPN and ESPNU, uh, if you want to check that out. Now, like I said, this 22 version of the basketball team is a different look. Uh, uh, you don't have, you know, that big lumbering Kofi Coburn. But I'll tell you, Dane Dine is trying to do his best to imitate. First two games, he had double-doubles. Um, and he's averaging 17.3 points, 9.7 9 rebounds per game, and nine blocks. And he hasn't started a game. This is all off the bench. Coming off the bench, he's doing this. Uh, Terrence Shannon is leading the team at 22.7 points a game, grabbing 6.7 rebounds, handing out 3.6 assists. Uh, he scored 24 in his first game, 24 points in his first game as an Illini, and then just the other night dropped 30 points on uh, Monmouth in 23 minutes. Uh, he can score fast. He can score often. That's that's what I can say about Terry Shannon Jr. Um, you know, and then you've got other guys that are that are that are contributing. Um, freshman guard Jaden Epps is uh, averaging 12 points a game and shooting 43 percent from the arc, coming off the bench. You've got freshman point guard, and I'm saying it, freshman point guard. Uh, I think the last freshman point guard was Io DeSumo. Uh, and then before that, I don't remember the last freshman point guard. Um, but we got a freshman point guard, Sky Clark. He's averaged only six points a game, handing out uh, or, uh, three rebounds and 3.7 rebounds and three assists a game. 
Uh, you got freshman Ty Rogers, who's coming in when uh, Clark needs a break, uh, at almost three assists per game. Um, and again, Jaden Epps, you've got uh, Melendez. Melendez and Coleman are having a little bit of a slow start to their season, as, as is Matt Meyer. Uh, but I think that's more of a situation of just trying to find enough time to get everybody the ball. I mean, really think that's what it is. Uh, uh, this team looks more like what Underwood used to have at Oklahoma State. So, uh, again, I, I think this is like the football team. I think this this team is 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 ready. It's poised. How far it can go is anybody's guess. But uh, you know, I, look for them to make some noise this year in in college basketball. Now, as far as Missouri football goes, they've had their troubles this year, up and down, up and down. Uh, lost to Auburn, barely beat Vanderbilt. Then they take down a ranked team in South Carolina, play Georgia uh, to within four points. Uh, then they turn and get stomped by Tennessee by 42. Um, they've got two games uh, left, New Mexico State and Arkansas. Uh, if they win both, they could finish at 6-6 six and six and still get into a bowl game. Um but can they win those next two games? I don't think there's any issue with Mexico State. I think they can beat New Mexico State. But can they beat Arkansas? Uh, Arkansas is 5-5. Five and five. They're only 2-5 and five in the conference. But, you know, uh, Missouri, just, they're a Jekyll and Hyde. That, that's the best way I can put it. Uh, now, you know, I think Drinkwitz has got a decent team down there. I think he's a, a, a decent coach. Uh, it's going to remain to be seen how well he can recruit to get some more guys in there that's going to help his, help him out. Uh, on the basketball side of things, new coach Dennis Gates has the Tigers at 4-0. Um, but those first two wins were just a little bit shaky. Uh, they won 97-91 against Southern Indiana and 92-85 over Penn. Over Penn um, University of Pennsylvania. Uh, they did beat Lindenwood College by 29 and SIU Edwardsville uh, by 25. Uh, they are very. You want to talk about a, a top head or a senior heavy lineup? These guys, there's a, a lot of fifth year seniors on this team. Uh, Demoy Hodge uh, is averaging uh, eight, 16.8 points a game, four rebounds. Nick Honors averaging 11 points a game, two and a half rebounds, three and a half assists. Senior Noah Carter. And these those two guys are graduate seniors or fifth year seniors. Noah Carter uh, is a regular senior, averaging 14.3 points a game, five and a half rebounds a game. They also have senior starter Kobe Brown at 13 points a game, six point three rebounds per game, three point two assists per game. Uh, the fifth starter is also a fifth year senior. Uh, DeAndre Golston at 7.8 points a game, 2.3 rebounds. Um, and another fifth-year senior, Trey Goldman, coming off the bench, scoring 10 points a game, uh, about four rebounds and three-and-a-half assists. So, you know, they've got a lot of good senior leadership, uh, experienced leadership, but is that going to be, uh, I mean, while it's good for this year, what does it mean for next year? Um, you know, this is going to be. Uh, can Gates get more than just because he only's got he only has two freshmen on the team, 
So he's going to have to recruit some freshmen, and you know, can he recruit freshmen at Missouri? I do not know. Uh, Missouri's an average rebounding team. They're only out-rebounding opponents by one. Um, they are shooting 35.7% from the arc, while their opponents are shooting 37% from the arc. Now, but they are uh, averaging uh, 21 assists to 12 turnovers a game. Um, they use uh, make good use of turnovers they've created. They've created uh, 20 turnovers and uh, averaging about 24 points off turnovers uh, per game. Uh, so Russ Roberts and I are going to be talking about these guys uh, and the NCAA and Illinois and uh, next uh, at the end of the month here. And we're going to do this on our monthly uh, get-together, talk about the Big Ten, the NCAA, uh, SEC. Uh, so... You know, we'll we'll get into more in depth on those guys as we go down the road. And you know, there's never a sure thing in sports, and that's why teams are always looking for a backup plan or insurance. Because even we as fans know how important it is to stay protected. Because sometimes life throws you a curveball, and that's why you need Allstate. Well, the Wiley Group has two locations in Festus and Arnold to serve you. They offer home, auto, boat, motorcycle, business, life insurance, investments, and much more. They offer a customized approach that is unique to your situation to make sure you, your family, and your assets are properly protected. They also offer great rates and savings, so give Sean and his team a call today, 636-764-6294. And they'll help you with insurance, quote, right over the phone because that's how they roll folks even give them a call if you just want to talk sports because you know they'll do that too we all have busy lives so you can email sean sean wiley at allstate.com and talk to him about your coverage options and remember you're in good hands with allstate Okay, for our Under the Arch segment. This is where I recorded a couple days ago. I was able to get uh, the A-Train Arlington Lane um, back for another round, a friend of the show. And we talked some XFL. So I'm going to play that interview for you now. All right, folks. I told you I was going to have him back on at some point in time, and I deliver when I say I deliver. And he is the A-Train, Arlington Lane. We're going to talk a little XFL football, and especially the St. Louis Battlehawks. How are you doing today, Arlington? I'm doing great. I'm doing really great today. Tina, you're, out of, uh, you're actually out of Houston, right? Correct. I'm in Houston, Texas right now. Houston, Texas right now, yeah. Uh, so... The XFL mm-hmm. uh, was a brainchild of, if I remember right, Vince McMahon and the WWE, correct? Correct. Okay. 
they had the they had the the inaugural season in 2020. And of course, everybody knows what happened with the pandemic and everything. How how did the Rock get involved in all this? From what has been stated, that um, it's actually his ex wife, Danny Garcia, wanted to be a part of the XFL. She she has said in interviews that she has followed what was going on in the 2020 season and had some type of consultant role where mm -hmm. uh, she was more like behind the scenes and not too many people knew that she was there. And so um, when, of course, after the 2020 season didn't happen all the way through and the bankruptcy thing came uh, to fruition, she wanted it. She wanted a part of it immediately, told the told The Rock that she wanted to be a part of that, and The Rock was game for it and said, let's go get it. And here we are. We stand in, uh, in 2022, and Danny Garcia and The Rock own the XFL. Okay. Uh, how has the response been? I mean, I, I watched a couple of your, uh, your uh, episodes of the X-Fan show, and um, how has the response been since the reopening of the XFL? Um. A bunch better now, but for like, there's been the number 27 months, which was the time that The Rock and Danny bought the XFL to now that it wasn't a lot happening. And the reason that wasn't a lot happening on their end is because, of course, everybody knows about The Rock being this big movie action star. And so that was going to be at the top of the list. And Danny is also part of that. And she has other projects and things that she's doing as well. So what they were trying to let people know was that even though we are only the company, we're not the faces of the company. So we're letting our people that we've hired be that face. And a lot of things were happening, you know, in inside that we did not know about. Fans were like just wanting to know everything and everything was trying to be in comparison to what was going on during 2019 and 2020. Everybody was being notified of what was going on in the XFL. Now, with that being said, was that supposed to be something that we were supposed to know? Or was that something that we weren't supposed to know? That's the thing we won't ever understand or know about that for 2019. But for 2022, they were... Uh, keeping a lot of things under wraps because when they were ready, they were going to present it. And so that's what they have done. And now they have this rollout for this week. Uh, I think we're November 14th this week. Um, they have a rollout for the XFL draft and through their uh, broadcast partners, ESPN. Now, the draft is, uh, you say this week, the 15th, right? Tomorrow? It's the 15th through the 17th, yeah. 15th through begins, the 17th. Yeah, it begins with the quarterback selection show on Tuesday night, uh, excuse me, Tuesday uh, afternoon. And then um, they'll have programming in the evening uh, for it on ESPN2. And then the actual draft will be the 16th and the 17th. Okay. Were any players retained or called, I should say, called back or anything from the 2020 rosters? Or is this going to be, are they com uh, drafting complete uh, full rosters? One of the things that um, I believe it was Doug Whaley. Doug Whaley was a part of the 2020 uh, XFL iteration, and now he's back again for twenty for the 2023 season. One of the things that he said was they were 
wanting to look at players that did not get a shot at the NFL, period. You know, those that had a shot at the NFL, they got to play in 2020. And this time they want to find the unknowns that did not get a chance to play. But so, but there have been a few that have been retained. Um, one particular name in particular came from the Seattle team. And his name was Brandon Silk. And um, he's a quarterback uh, out of, I think it was Troy. Yeah. And he played with the Dragons at the, uh, at the time in 2020. And now he's getting another opportunity to play again in 20, for 2023. So um, there are others, especially at the quarterback position. We've talked to a couple of others. Uh, one by the name of Kenneth Farrell, who is a running back that played for Seattle in 2020. Rashad Ross, who played for, I believe, the D.C. team back in 2020. They are all excited about the opportunity of getting back to playing in the XFL. The league is the one that assigned the team names? Yes. How, how does that work? Um, well, they have their own team behind the scenes, and they were able to retain – uh, many of the names that they had from 2020. Mm-hmm. So, of course, Houston here, they were able to keep the Roughnecks, the name, and, uh, of course, St. Louis with the Battle Hawks, D.C. with the Defenders. There's also the Renegades. Not It used to be Dallas, but it's now my, my name, Arlington, so I pretty much have my own team <laughs> in, uh, <laughs> in Texas, right? Right, right. <laughs> and then also the, um, the Dragons, they kind of – uh, in Seattle, they named themselves the Sea Dragons now, which is kind of the same name, kind of similarly the mm-hmm. same logo and things, you know. But a lot of the names from 2020 were retained, and now they're either in different cities or they are part of the same city. The only new team like that's completely different is the San Antonio team, the Brahmas. So you've got so we got okay, so we got teams in on the East Coast, West, and kind of midwest to the south yes that okay okay so we got this the seattle uh houston arlington mm-hmm. um uh you just you just said the other name that uh, 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 orlando is now orlando, part of the, oh, dc new york right is a team in new york too that was the the new york and los uh angeles team oh, las vegas not retained they were not retained for uh 2023 and Tampa was the other one that was from the previous iteration. So we have Arlington, D.C., Houston, Orlando, San Antonio, Seattle, St. Louis, and Vegas. So now Vegas, Vegas is okay. Now games will start in April, correct? Those games will start in February. Uh, February, February 18th. Yeah, is the, oh, wow. the first okay. game for them. Wow, that's a quick. That's going to be a quick, uh, quick camp to get everything ready. <laughs> yeah, they are scheduling. Um, camp like the after the week after the new year begins so i think they're looking at january 8th and then they're going to go for about a month and then they're going to start play uh come february 18th and that happened that happened before with the previous iteration that they had just about a month to kind of get ready to play and i'm pretty sure that they'll go over the rules and things for the uh for the players and from what i've heard from different players that are trying to participate in the XFL, 
that they have been receiving information from the XFL on what's going on compared to how the fans have been notified of what's been going on. So like they've been ahead of the curve, which is understandable. That's right. what you're supposed to do. When you're trying to bring in players for your league, let them know what's going on more than us, the fans. And the fans will un- will know information about what's going on as time progresses. Okay. How long is the season? How many games is the season going to be? It's going to be a 10, um, 10 week season, uh, with a, there's no buy, uh, no buys. I mean, not, not, excuse me, not buys, no, uh, no off weeks. So there's going to be 10 weeks of play, uh, games. And then you have a week for playoffs and then a week for the championship. Okay. So 12 weeks total. 12 weeks total. Okay. So, so, okay. So there's eight teams, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. So, so how are you doing that with the cup? I mean, is this divided into divisions, or is it just one big eighteen league? Or there will be there will be two divisions. Is what it's leaning towards uh, right now. We don't know where they're going to be, but at at first outlook, first, and this is just a rumor. This is not what it's going to be. If we're looking at teams that are going to be, they're going to be like an East and West division. East will be uh will be uh Orlando, St. Louis, uh DC, and potentially Houston. And then the other four teams will be uh Arlington, San Antonio, Seattle, and Vegas. And of course they'll play they'll play each other twice and then you'll have a game against the opposite division. Okay. Uh and then what does the like the top four records go on to a uh seeded playoff? Yeah, there will be the top two teams in each division face off uh, for a chance at the championship uh, in in April. So okay. um, yeah, th- that's how they're gonna look at for formatting as of right now, and at least that's what it's going to look like on paper. Right, um, right. that hasn't been confirmed by the league. That hasn't been because uh, usually them and ESPN will be you know one working with one another on. Uh, you know, where everybody goes and, and what's going to actually happen for the league itself. But that would be the uh, speculation from that is that the top two teams would face off in, uh, in each division would face off each other for a chance at the championship game. Now, games will be played on Saturday or Sunday? They'll play both. Uh, they'll have games okay. on Saturday and then they'll have games on Sunday. If you remember from the 2020 uh, year, they had – two games on Saturday and then there were two games on Sunday. So there, it looked like as an XFL weekend of sorts uh, coming in okay. February. That's pretty cool. That's, that's a nice, pretty cool. Uh, now, do, do the cities retain the rights for these teams or is this, are the teams the rights to the XFL? Those are all rights to the XFL. So um, when the XFL was going back through the trademarks and things, they had to, you know, renew uh, those team names and everybody except the Brahmas were retained. And like I said, the Brahmas were, are an entirely new team. So um, they were able to keep them. I, I can't remember what the team that they did not have. I think it was uh, the Wildcats that was in the previous iteration. I'm pretty sure they'll be able to retain that name again. And um, if it does, if the XFL does remain successful, that that Wildcat team will you know come back to the XFL. Okay, how, how, oh, that that leads me right into the next question. How uh, put it two ways? 
how do you think they how how successful do you think they can be, and then how successfully do you think they will be short term and then long term? Excuse me. In the short term, I really think that um, it will provide a place for potential players um, that want to take their talents to the next level. I think it will be a great place for them. Um, just remembering that getting a season across. Now, the uh, the competition, the USFL was able to do that, and now they're headed into season number two. Um, long term, I think it could become like a, another spring league, kind of like the USFL was back in the 80s, because I think you can potentially make stars out of the XFL. I really think that you can build that league to have new stars and potentially have that league have a, a million-dollar star or have a uh, a player that says, I would rather stay in the XFL than play in the U.S. Uh, – excuse me, than play in the NFL. That's where I believe long-term it can go. But in the short okay. term, it's just providing a place for them to uh, play in the NFL. That's why they have the partnership with the NFL now. Okay. Oh, so the, so the XFL is partner. It has a partnership yet with the NFL. They have it with the the alumni academy. So oh, okay. uh, anybody that had participate that participates in the academy can uh, be a part of the XFL draft pool that's coming for you know this week. All right. Uh, so how has uh, you, I know you've been kind of dialed into certain to this to the different uh, uh, teams. Uh, how has the response been? Um, in the in the cities that are lucky enough to get an XFL team, St. Louis, of course, is going to be the biggest draw because no NFL team. Same with San Antonio. Hmm. San Antonio has been growing rapidly ever since the team had it. They had announced that it was going to be an XFL city, and because those two cities don't have NFL teams, they are on back. They are backing anything that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the XFL is doing at this point. Right, and right. The, the the course that we have received is that San Antonio, St. Louis is going to have a nice little rivalry when it comes to their teams, attendance, merchandise, uh, a lot because of that reason. And then the other um, six teams, Houston has had a decent response. Orlando has had a fantastic response. DC's had a great response. Uh, Arlington had one as well. Uh, Seattle, uh, Seattle had a, a nice uh, representation, and Vegas is actually um, is going to be on the fifteenth. We'll find out how that response has been, but it's slow. It's a slow moving process for Vegas because it's entire. It's on the it's on the west, and right now the issue is seeing where. Uh, what type of venue they're going to play in? Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, so that, that was going. To, that was actually going to be. Are they going to be using uh, like I know, like in terms of St. Louis, they're using the uh, what is it now called? Some <laughs> of the dome at America Center. <laughs> yeah, America. I, it's I don't know. It's changed hands or, or names so many times. I can't keep yeah. track of it. Uh, exactly. So are, are they all using um, NFL facilities? Are they using college facilities, or is it a mix? Um, or? Some will use college facilities. Some will use soccer stadiums and 
and um, the thing with Vegas, what we don't know as of yet is where they're going to be playing. Um, there used to be Sam Boyd Stadium, mm-hmm. and um, that has closed, and okay. they can't use they, so they can't use that facility. And then there's two other fields that um, have been talked about. Well, actually, three. There was a high school field at one point being discussed, and there's only holds five thousand. And then there's a uh, baseball stadium that holds about ten thousand. And then there's a soccer stadium uh, known as Cashman Field that used to be a baseball stadium, and uh, that's been talked about. So right now there's three venues, more than likely is going to be two uh, in the running for a potential spot for the Vegas team. Oh, so just. Side note, where do the Raiders play? The Raiders play at Allegiant Stadium. That had been taken out from the get-go. Uh, Mark oh, okay. Davis did not want them they playing. They wouldn't uh, agree to it. XFL playing there. Um, okay. And, and, and also that UNLV uh, plays there, too. Okay. I guess that we, I think we, you and I talked about this before. Um, you know, is there room for a potentially third major football league um is there any avenue that they're looking at or are they too too early to tell about looking for expansion opportunities um i think there is room for a there is room for a league especially during the months of february to april and considering that the usfl is going to participate the USFL is going to participate on uh, in April to June. Yeah, there's room. There's always room for football. Um, <laughs> That's true. I agree with if that. You, if you think about it, Don, you'll have, for football fans, you'll have a year-round thing of football. The only month I think that you will not actually get football is July. But you'll actually, you'll actually get it a little bit with the USFL, and it's like just at the cusp before college football begins. You know, they, yeah. they, you start earlier and earlier every year. So, yeah. but, so that means at some point you're going to get football every single month of the year hmm. in 2023. Okay. okay. So if you're a football fan, you're enjoying that. And there's always there's always room enough for football, oh, and yeah. everybody saying. loves it, you know. And despite you know how people feel about uh, the rules of the game and uh, dealing with referees and things, that's that's all part of the sport, all right. part of the sport. And so that is going to be the key, you know. When they insert themselves the XFL from February to April, oh man. It's like a dream come true for a football fan. Now, are we are they going to be used this, using standard football rules, or are going to be anything different that we should be aware of, or do you know if, yet? If we remember um, what happened during the 2020 season, I think they will retain a lot of the rules from that, meaning the kickoffs where um, you just wait until the ball is touched, right? And then you also okay. have. Uh, the double forward pass, I believe that rule is going to retain. And then also you will have uh, the the point conversions, the one, two-point, and three-point conversions that they used in 2020. One foot inbounds, 
for catches. You know, so I think I think so they're the, going the college to, standard on that one. Yeah, mostly mostly for college standard, and and that was kind of the argument that that we were having a lot was what is going to be the rules for the XFL and how does that hurt or does help them when they get to the NFL? You know, because you have to do two feet when you're making a catch in the NFL and only one foot in the XFL. You have to make that change and transition to that. Well, I mean, I think in some respects on that, though, it's the same for guys coming out of college going to the NFL. They've got to make that same adjustment eventually. So, um, you know, it's it's, uh, it's I, one thing I hope I hope they come up with something in between the NFL and college football for an overtime playoff. <laughs> yeah, for overtime games, because I don't like the NFL sudden death rule. And I think the college rule, while it. I think it addresses the situation. I think it could use a little tweaking itself. <laughs> exactly. It, it, it definitely can. So, hey, Arlington, it's been uh, been good to have you back on. And, uh, you know, uh, I do wish the uh, Battle Hawks uh, well. I'll probably – I'll be definitely keeping an eye on them uh, and the XFL as a whole. I'll be watching – uh, tell the folks what your what shows you're on. I know you've been you've got a couple of three things going on out there. Yeah, Where can I we do. find you? <laughs> um, you can check me out on uh, the A Train show. Uh, right now, that's kind of on hiatus because we've been focusing so much on the XFL. Uh, you definitely check out the X Fan show. Uh, we're through Pro Football Alliance, so make sure that you uh, check that out. Uh, X Fan show. On Twitter, you can check us out on Facebook, and you can check us out on Twitch and YouTube. So we're on several platforms, Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube. X-Fan Show is there. Come check us out. All right. Well, Arlington, again, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. It's been fantastic. And uh, we'll uh, we'll have have to see how this plays out. But go Battlehawks. (laughs) <laughs> go! Uh, I have to go. Go Roughnecks because I'm here. You got, oh yeah, you're in Houston. You got to. <laughs> you got to support the local boys. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, uh, thanks a lot again, Arlington. No problem. I hope you enjoyed that uh, interview with Arlington Lane. He is a trip. Um, definitely gonna. Have, he's gonna have to come back on again once this league gets going. Uh, so that's gonna do it for uh, talking sports on the bleachers tonight. And um, check us out. Uh, let everybody know we're on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Check out GatewayCitySports.com. You can check out the show's website, uh, TalkingSports-OTB-GCS.OnPodium.com. Uh, you can check out me on Twitter, uh, at TSOTBGCS. And... I know it's been a long show, but I thank you for sticking with us, and we will see you again when we are talking sports on the beach.